The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. What's going on, everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 122. I'm Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. With me, as always, is Brandon Lee Gowton from bleedinggreennation.com. Before we get into it, um, obviously, uh, we have not recorded since really the protests uh, over the death of George Floyd really began to heat up. And by now, it kind of feels like the most tense parts of those protests are over, or at least it's calming down. And it's beginning to feel a lot like the protests are producing wins, which is a great thing. And we're not going to talk much about that. We're just kind of here to provide a distraction uh, for those of you who need one. Uh, But Brandon, how have you been over the last week? Yeah, just what I'll add to that, Jimmy, is uh, definitely there's some resources we have on bleedinggreennation.com on a post titled Black Lives Matter, which is an important message, I think, right now. And you can go to blacklivesmatter.carrd.co. So that's blacklivesmatter.card with two R's.co. And there's information there about petitions and ways to donate, or really, even if, you know, that's not what you want to do, um, there's just there's resources there kind of just to learn more about, you know, why people are protesting and, and all of this and can and very much can speak better to this than you or I can, Jimmy. So I would just encourage people to check that out um, if that's what they so desire to do. I think it's a really important time now for people to be heard. I- I'm, I'm glad there are people, you know, standing up and, and protesting and and standing up for the right thing. I'm, I'm glad we got to hear from Malcolm Jenkins. Yes. Tell Drew Brees to <laughs> STFU, basically. <laughs> yes. Uh, when it comes to kind of putting an ignorant message out there. I, I guess that's one thing. What I can say, I just I think there's so much ignorance in the world, Jimmy, and that is uh, discouraging and disheartening at times. And I'm I'm just glad to see that people are we're, we're trying to stand together and fight against that. And uh, so that's that's the encouraging thing to me. For the for the first time in a while, I've been proud of our country. Not the mm-hmm. leaders in charge, of course, but but the people. Not to get political here, but nationwide, the the way the people have stood up for what they think our country should be. I've been proud of the way. You know, the population has handled itself largely. So what are we talking about today, Jimmy? What do we got so, on the docket? In our last episode, we noted sort of 10 things that, that Eagles fans rather should, you know, be look forward to in the twenty in the 2020 season. And I thought maybe as sort of an expansion of that, we would sort of go through 
some unexpected things that can happen that can further the Eagles' uh, chances of being, you know, Super Bowl contenders. Like, you know, in 2017, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, a lot of unexpected things kind of happened that year. Uh, Carson Wentz broke out, and that wasn't super unexpected, but the degree to which he did probably was. The team really gelled off the field. You know, all the all the things that Howie Roseman did that offseason and, like, the older players that they signed, you know, a lot of those guys contributed in big ways, like Chris Long, Patrick Robinson, Garrett Blunt, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, Nick Foles found lightning in a bottle. Hell, Nelson Aguilar even started making plays. So, you know, a lot of things that we weren't really anticipating or like maybe it was unrealistic to kind of think that a lot of these things would happen, happened. So we're going to take a look at, at some of the things that can happen this year, potentially, that you wouldn't necessarily predict, but are possible to, to help the Eagles along in their in their Super Bowl aspirations. So before we dive deep into those topics, Jimmy, I have some breaking news, oh. breaking shoes, you could even call it, uh, here at BGN Radio. New sponsor, thanks to our, our mutual friend and former, really, BGN Radio host at one point. And oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, BGN Radio writer, BG, BGN contributor all around, Dan Klausner. Uh, yeah, so just wanted to tell you, Jimmy, that BGN Radio is now brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. The jerky that fuels your Philadelphia Eagles, the people listening to this. That's right. Righteous felon jerky and meat sticks are served at the Eagles NovaCare Complex Fueling Station where players get their pre- and post-workout protein snacks. Each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams of protein. So if it's good enough for the Eagles, it's got to be good enough for you, too. Uh, word has it that Lane Johnson actually hoards bags from the fueling station for his home gym. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, PA. It uses locally sourced all-natural black Angus beef and prides itself on superior quality, badass branding, local collaborations, and being thoroughly Philadelphia. You can try all the flavors, OG Hickory, Victorious B.I.G., that's made with Victory Brewing Storm King Stout, Baby Blues Barbecue. Marilyn Monroe, Truffalo Soldier, Bourbon Franklin, <laughs> Habanero Escobar, Voodoo <laughs> Chili, and the newly released Val Capone Turkey Jerky. Uh, I've had some of those. They're definitely good. So go to check, uh, go to RighteousFelon.com and use the discount code BGN15 at checkout to get 15% off when you order $45 or more. Righteous Felon wants me to tell you that the discount code can be used a maximum of three times. And actually, it's three times for email address. So if you really love the stuff, that you're willing to engage in some slightly morally ambiguous behavior to get more. Uh, <laughs> so they're even encouraging you to kind of game the system here. Uh, not that they're necessarily encouraging you to do that, uh, but they're also not not encouraging you to do it. So you can make like your favorite athletes and eat the same meat snacks that the Eagles do. Lane Johnson off the juice on the jerky. There you go. And his play has not dipped at all, in my opinion. Boom. So you want to go first, or uh, should I let it rip with uh, my first, uh, I don't know, unexpected thing that can happen? Okay, I'll, I'll let you do it. So I would say J.J. Ortega-Whiteside becoming a competent X receiver in the X as in, like, X, Z slot, not X as in former, but X receiver in Doug Peterson's offense would be huge for the Eagles in 2020. Touted as a contested catch freak coming out of college. We saw none of that in his rookie season. Uh, he was also kind of thought to be more of a more of a polished uh, route runner than some of the other guys coming out uh, a year ago, but he was mostly bad at that too. 
Uh, do you remember that Dan Orlovsky tweet that he put out? It was really more of a defense of Carson Wentz, but oh yeah, JJ caught a lot of shrapnel <laughs> on that one, where he was really pointing out how Eagles receivers were not helping him in any way with the type of routes that they were running, and uh, JJ took some heat on that one. It's from the Seahawks game, yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah, right. The the one example that was you know really enlightening was on a slant where he had Trey Flowers, I think, beaten. Mm-hmm. And uh, he should have flattened his route. Instead, he kind of drifted upfield and gave Flowers the chance to, you know, sort of um, undercut it and knock it away. Uh, should have been an easy completion, wasn't. So just little things like that that, uh, you know, he can improve on maybe. I think there's one thing you can hang your hat on with J.J. is he only had 10 catches last year, obviously. But he actually made a decent number of, of really nice plays. Like in the preseason, I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to like give him gold stars for preseason play. But he had that, you know, really good corner route against the Ravens. He, uh, on, on a touchdown catch, or he, it was a nice catch, kept both feet in. Garbage time catch against the Seahawks, in which, um, like, he, he jumped for the ball near the side. It was, it was like, down the field. It was, like, a 30-something yard gain. He jumped for the ball, took a hit, was able to keep two feet in. Uh, nice bo- Remember that catch against the Giants? It was, like, he, like, kind of contorted his body near yeah. the sideline. It's a really nice play. That might That's be, their, one of the might be their best catches. catch of the season, right? I was going to say, it has to be a best catch by, like, an Eagles uh, receiver, especially yes. Dallas Goddard had that nice one hander in the Washington game, but yeah, it's easily up there. And then that's the first play of the Cowboys game where Wentz mm-hmm. threw a heater over the middle. He had to reach back for it. Like it wasn't a bad throw. He purposely threw it behind him because that's how that's just where the space was in between the Dallas defenders. And he reached back, caught it. Like that was a laser. That was a really nice play and kind of set the tone for the day. Like that big. That that was like a big. Play like the first mm-hmm. play, it was like a twenty-yard gain, something like that. And that was a really nice start to that game for the Eagles. So you know, JJ went on. I think you covered this, but he went on that Spanish radio. He did a Spanish interview, interview mm-hmm. in Spanish, and he said he was hurt all season and uh, he didn't know like what position he was going to be playing from week to week. As far as the playing hurt, like you know, I'm not <laughs> forgiving that so much. Everyone's hurt in the NFL, so you're just going to have to get used to that. But I do think that the cross training at several positions. Set him back. So now that they have Deshaun and Rager and uh, the two rookies, Hightower and um, Watkins and Marquise Goodwin, and then they have Ward in the slot, it doesn't make sense for them to cross-train J.J. anymore. So maybe they can just let him focus on the exposition so he can, he can sort of refine his game there. And then eventually, once he kind of has a really solid grasp of what he's doing there, he can just stop thinking uh, so much during games and just play and may see a better result from him on the field after that. So I don't know. I wouldn't totally dismiss the idea of of him taking a step forward. But, you know, obviously uh, a lot of people are down on him, myself included, uh, after that. What was, you know, honestly really a bad rookie season. Yeah, I don't see the likelihood of that as like, you know, you can't bank on that. I know obviously that's the that, that's the here. Right, right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And, but I'm just saying even for that, even like with unlikely, like it's it's still on the more unlikely end just because of how discouraging things were. But, yeah, you can there's, – there's points you can make. Also, I think, you know, it's important to like highlight that J.J. has really good football character. You know, he's, he's going to work hard. You know, I don't think he's like a guy who um, – is going to bust for a lack of effort. So, you know, it's not like, you know, he's Danny Watkins. That's what I'm trying to say. And right. he just doesn't love the game. Like, I think he definitely loves the game. It's just a matter of, like, is he actually good? And can he figure that out? So uh, that's better, again, than being in a situation where the player just, you know, like, again, it's like a, a Danny Watkins situation or whatever. So uh, uh, sticking at wide receiver, I wrote down, like, Jalen Rager has to be like an instant difference maker kind of for this team. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, you look at Deshaun Jackson – 
And I think Deshaun, you know, if he can stay healthy, which is a big if, and if he can return to form, another kind of, you know, uh, question to be answered, I think Deshaun could have a pretty great year because I think him and Carson Wentz had a great connection, both like in training camp and then Mm -hmm. obviously early in week one. So I think those two could be, you know, still a good duo, but you you just don't know what you're going to get out of Deshaun. And I think Rager, you know, is going to have to be that guy. He's going to have to step up from the jump. Um, and even if Deshaun is healthy, I just, I just think Rager's going to have to make a, a difference early on. He's he's going to have to be a significant impact player. And that's unlikely just because you could be the biggest Jalen Rager fan in the world. Like rookie wide receivers in the NFL are just not guaranteed to make that kind of impact. Now it can happen. You know, you look at Terry McLaurin last year, certainly you look at, you know, how OBJ came into the league and a lot of those other 2014 wide receivers kind of came in and were able to make that difference. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's not a guarantee. Like It's not just like, oh yeah, he just watches in and he's uh, instantly an impact kind of player. And I think that's what he needs to be for this team. So I think, I think Rager kind of having, um, just this big impact in year one, and obviously the Eagles kind of figuring out exactly how to use him too. Like that would be a huge thing as far as like you, if you we're looking at kind of how the 2017 season was, and the Eagles are somehow in the Super Bowl this year, and you're like, that's one thing that definitely helped. It's getting Rager and him just being like this instant impact player from the jump. Got it. Yep. Can I give you another one? Jimmy? Yeah, go right ahead. Snake it up. So I don't I don't know how many people would say it's unlikely that Carson Wentz plays well. But I specifically wanted to mention the fumbles because that is something that we always have to talk about when it comes to Carson Wentz. And just looking back at what he did in 2017, you know, when he was great and having this MVP season, he only had nine in 13 games. Now, last year, he had 16 in 16 games. It was just too much. And I think the way you look at him down the stretch last year, uh, I kind of forgot how good his numbers were, like just how good. So I wanted to reread those here. I mean, in his last four games where the Eagles are playing must-win games, now granted against bad teams, you know, Giants twice, Washington, uh, and and the Cowboys defense wasn't super great either. But still, I mean, he completed 70 or 67% of his attempts for 1,199 yards for seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a 100.8 pass rating. And for as bad as the competition was, obviously, he's he's playing with Greg Ward as his number one wide receiver, and he's playing with nobody out there. So uh, if he can build on that, obviously, that's huge. And specifically, you know, cutting down on the fumbles, um, it just has to happen. Like, it yeah. has to happen at some point. He just has to be more – and it's not even just like – I mean, some of them are just avoidable. Like the one in the Washington game last year, you think about in Week 15 – um, like, like some of them, it's just, it's too careless. You're talking now, about late like, in the fourth quarter? Yes. On that one? Yeah. I mean, that almost cost him the season. They were lucky to yeah. get the ball back yep. and go down and score at the end of that game. Yeah. So I, I just feel like he has to be more careful. Now, some of that's give and take, like he's never going to be, you know, among the, the best in the league at taking care of the ball, but he's also going to make up for that with some of his, right. you know, extending plays. So you have to live with that to some extent, but still like he needs to, to cut him down like a little bit. Like it's, he's just been too reckless at times. Yeah, so my, my next one is kind of uh, sort of piggybacking on that. And I would say a swing in uh, the generation of turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. Because you look at like 2017, they had 31 takeaways. They were plus 11. 2018, they have uh, 17 takeaways. So they dropped 14 uh, takeaways from, from one year to the next. They were minus six that year. And then last year, they only had 20 takeaways. Uh, and they were minus three on the season overall. So I think like... 
a combination of some things that we talked about in the, you know, things to look forward to pod. Like, um, you know, I mentioned Derek Barnett breaking out. Uh, we didn't mention this, but maybe Josh Sweat steps up and, and gives you, you know, some Chris Long-like production. Uh, Fletcher Cox is healthy and back to his elite form. Javon Hargrave and Malik Jackson are be able to create disruption. And then on the back end, uh, Darius Slay pans out and, and becomes sort of the uh, the ball hawk that he that he was in in Detroit in specifically you know more in uh, what was it 2017 that he had his huge year or 2016 mm-hmm. uh, he can sort of regain that form and then I think actually Avante Maddox uh, for sort of the deficiencies that he's going to face on the outside with his size he is like and like his stats wouldn't say that he's a ball hawk necessarily but you can see in his play that he is you know kind of trying to make play big plays. Uh, for the defense, so I think you know uh, he's he's capable of of you know picking off some passes this year, and then even like I hate to like, use him as, as an example because I'm going to make fun of, but even like Nate Gary kind of has some mm. ball hawk in him. Like I always point back to that 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 play that the pick six that he made against the Jets, and of course Luke Falk and you know, grain of salt and whatnot. But that was really a spectacular play that he made. I think uh, another was the other pick that he had against Atlanta. It's yep. kind of a big play in that game. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think he has some of that in this game. So if they can really kind of turn around the uh, the number of turnovers that, that, that they that they force anyway in uh, in 2020, and, you know, I'm not saying anything new here. Like, turnovers are good. You got to have turnovers. If you don't force the turnovers, you turn the ball over, you're probably not going to win the game. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I do think uh, – with uh, the added emphasis that they put on the uh, defensive line, specifically up the middle, you know, could um, maybe pressure quarterbacks into making, you know, uh, unwise decisions. And uh, I I think that that's an area where they could capitalize. I like new listeners just tuning in for the first time and wondering like why we're doing those voices. (laughs) Having no idea that it's like Mike Francesa. uh, (laughs) They're just like, why are they they doing those voices? Yeah. So kind of to go on one of the things you said here that I almost put on my list, Jimmy was Avante Maddox. Kind of like I I was, but I didn't do it. And here's why, because I look at back at the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and they won with freaking Ronald Darby (laughs) and Jalen Mills starting on the outside. I don't think Maddox needs to be, like special. I don't think he needs to I think Avante Maddox needs to be what I think, what in my theory, Jim Schwartz believes is an ideal corner realistically. Now what I mean by that is like obviously he would love to have a star player who never gives up any yards and is like, you know, freaking dominant. Like he's a future Hall of Famer. Like, yeah, obviously that's the ideal. But realistically you're not gonna get that. Like it's just hard. So you basically like you can take like the corner of, you know, taking what you can get ideally, like what does that look like? And I think Maddox's capability, not necessarily his, his profile, the size and everything, but I think what we've seen from Avante Maddox, and let me know if this is fair or not, Jimmy, I feel like he's a high variance corner on the outside. Like I feel like he's had some of his best games on the outside. And you looked at this on your breakdown for Philly voice, like his first start against the Rams and against the Texans as well in 2018. And now he had yeah. some help in those games and there's different, you know, circumstances here. But still, like I feel like even even last year in 2019, like late in the season against the Giants, um, I feel like he's had some of his best games on the outside. Now, he's also had some of his worst games on the yes. outside. <laughs> you look at the, the Bears <laughs> yeah. game and you look at him getting roasted by Devontae Adams last year. So like it's not going to be perfect, but he's going to have some good moments out there. And that's really all you can ask for out of a cornerback is like high variance. Like yeah, there's going to be lows, but also he might make some big plays sometimes, and you kind of live with that. 
and that's why I think Jim Schwartz, you know, likes his co- or his cornerbacks to be so confident, and that's why he likes a player like Jalen Mills. He knows Bill Mills is going to have bad moments, but he's also, in theory, going to have you know these big plays to kind of make up for it. Like that's what Asante Samuel was. Asante, you know, wasn't going to be always perfect in coverage. He's going to give up some plays because he's going to gamble and he's going to be susceptible to double moves. But he's also going to make some big plays, and the hope is that in the long run, like the equation works out to where the big plays you know, account more for than the mistakes you make. So uh, so that's kind of speaking to your Maddox thing. But another thing you mentioned in there, and this is my actual thing that I wrote down after that lengthy diatribe, <laughs> is is Derek Barnett breaking out. And we yeah. kind of talked, you already touched on this in last week's episode about things you're looking forward to. But I think like that needs to happen. Like that, that needs to happen. And I, and I would say it's unlikely just in the sense that I'm optimistic about Derek Barnett. But what if he just is what he is at this point? You know, like what if he, there isn't a next gear and he's kind of just like a solid player in the sense, in the, in the context of, like, of a vacuum, that's not a disaster. But I think for what this team needs as an elite pass rush and looking back to 2017, when they had like the arguably the best dominant pass rush in the league, like that's not good enough, especially with the lack of depth they have at defensive end. So I think Derek Barnett um, really needs to be that star player. Yeah, I mean, you look at some past Super Bowl winners, and they they won because they had dominant defensive lines, like the Giants Super Bowls. They had a dominant defensive line. That's why they won. You look at the Niners last year. They didn't win the Super Bowl, but they got there, sure as hell, because they had that dominant defensive line. So, uh, you know, I think the Eagles are in the right – their their head is in the right spot and that they prioritize their defensive line uh, to the extent that they do. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you that Barnett absolutely has to – uh, kind of step up. Yeah, not not only this year, but just for the future of the team, as we noted in the last episode. Because you have Brandon Graham, who's thirty two years old, and you don't want to be, be replacing you know two defensive ends at the same time. So let's take a break quickly here, and then we'll come back. And uh, what are we on? We got through four so far, so we got six to go. Brandon, back after this. Back here on BGN Radio one twenty two talking to you about how the Eagles can get back to the Super Bowl, what things, what unlikely things can kind of happen, uh, just like they did in 2017 for the Eagles to get back this year in 2020, assuming there's a season and everything goes the right way. Uh, what is your next item on the list, Jimmy? So I would say TJ Edwards becoming a good starting uh, line, good starting three-down linebacker. And mm. he didn't play a lot in 2019, uh, got like 130-something snaps, I believe, in the regular defense. And in those in that limited action, he had over 20 tackles. And that's just on the regular defense. He had more on special teams as well. He was really, really good against the run. Actually, it was an abnormal number of snaps that he played. Like, the percentage of his snaps that that he played were very high in terms of, like, uh, the opposing team's run versus pass. So he played a... (laughs) Going a long way to say, he played a lot of snaps against the run, didn't play many snaps against the pass. He was really good against the run. But I think what I'll have to do going forward is prove to Jim Schwartz that he can play well in coverage as well. And he's going to be, you know, sort of at a disadvantage there because he's not the most athletic guy by any stretch. And uh, he's going to have to show that he can at least uh, kind of see what's happening before it happens and be in the right places so that he isn't hurt by that lack of athleticism. But as a run, as a run stopper, he was awesome last year. So uh, I think the Eagles have a lot to be encouraged with with uh, Edwards, but he's largely untested uh, in the passing game. But if he can show anything there, it'd be huge for them if they could have a, a good starter who, you know, they brought in as an undrafted free agent. Like, you know, any time you get a guy like that 
who is sort of a big win and you're not paying him anything and you didn't use a resource on at all, that, that's huge for, for roster building. So he'd be a big help if he can become a quality starter. Yeah, I didn't have linebacker on here. So I, and I thought about it, but I just, you know, I thought back to how the Eagles won in 2017. And now Bradham was, you know, a big deal. He was, I think you could say he's that one That Panthers of the, game was awesome. It was awesome. And he was one of the better covered linebackers in the league that year. I think it's fair to say that. So maybe I'm not giving enough weight to it, but I don't know. I just, I thought back to how also like you have Danell freaking Ellerby starting for <laughs> right. you in the Super Bowl. And it's like, well, maybe linebacker isn't like the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't have it on my list, but I think it's a fair inclusion. I will say sticking with the defense. And I noticed, by the way, here, I feel like a lot of things I had on the defense. Like I feel like I had a lot of like, these things have to go right on the defense. So I thought that was an interesting theme. What I have written here is Nickel Roby Coleman, nailed okay. it again, is the next Patrick Robinson. Like he yeah, comes in, okay. performs, and he, you know, he has a good track record. He's arguably one of the better slot corners in the league. Although, you know, the Rams did move on from him. That was financial implications there, but still. I think him, you know, coming in and kind of being like a difference maker, like Pat P. Rob was in the slot, like that would go a long way. Patrick Robinson was huge that season. He was one of the best slot corners in, in the league that year. I mean, yeah, he just he just erased people. Like he yeah. locked them down. Like no one who was doing anything against Patrick Robinson. Like no one. <laughs> like, it's amazing and, his season because he was for as good as he was during the season. He was horrendous for the first half of training camp. Yep. Like it was crazy. If I can just tell a quick story. I think it's I think I'm uh, I think I'm okay to tell this now. But like yeah. I like did sort of a poll of uh you know players that whose stock is up since the beginning of camp and players whose stock is down since the beginning of camp and I do that after the 10th practice. I do it every year. And um Patrick Robinson ran away with the uh players whose stock is down. But the one that was funny was uh I asked Merrill um Merrill you know, for, for for his votes and he you know he happily gave his stock up one, but he, he was like sort of declining uh, on the stock down one, like he didn't want to say anything bad about anyone on the team, and I said, "I said, come on, man." <laughs> so it's anonymous. Said, so then he goes, he goes, "Can I take a look at some of the at some of the options of other people that that uh uh you know who they picked?" And he was going to point to one because he didn't want to say it out loud because he was you know talking to fans on the sideline and whatnot. So like he kind of smiled and he pointed at Patrick Robinson's name. <laughs> So even Merrill was down on um, for Patrick Robinson at the time, but he really turned it around and uh, you know started playing well in the preseason. There's one, there's one, there's one day after practice where uh, uh, Teron Davenport and I kind of agreed that he looked like he was about to cry, like <laughs> during yeah. his during an interview. Like he was the biggest surprise of the season for me, based on you know what he showed in training camp and then how he actually played in the regular season. Like he's like the the poster child for don't take training camp. Too, too seriously. I think you can, you know, certainly make a lot of, uh, you know, salient observations in training camp. But, you know, it's not the end-all, be-all, of course. Yeah, and the context there, too, though, is he, he was also playing on the outside a lot when he was getting yeah. roasted. And then, you know, moving into the slot helped. Yeah, for sure. be- better for his skill set, I think, yeah. Yeah. So you're up next to me. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, just, I just had... So yeah, I, I, yeah. I, thought, I thought you still had a point there. I, I cut you off. <laughs> so. No, just him kind of becoming like the next Patrick Robinson in my mind was like a, you know, could be a big thing. Gotcha. Yeah, so you, you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier in, in terms of just Deshaun Jackson and him staying healthy. But just more generally speaking, can the Eagles actually get some injury luck for a change? Like the mm-hmm. roster did get younger this, this offseason, so maybe that'll play into that a little bit. 
But I mean, like, I don't need to get into, you know, the injuries that they've had. But the last three years, they have been way more injured than your average NFL team. So if that can kind of swing in the other direction, then they'll be in good shape in 2020. It's just I don't think there's many people that have much confidence in their in their medical staff. And uh, I just and obviously, you know, they they are still going to be probably on the uh, higher end in terms of or they're going to be on the older end of the uh, age spectrum in the NFL. So that's not going to help either. But I mean, just when you mentioned Deshaun Jackson, if he can start what, like 12, 14 games and he's good to go for the playoffs, that'd be great for the Eagles. Like you, you yeah. look at like, you look at the playoffs like this past year, if they get past Seattle, he might've been back for the Niners game. And then like, you know, who, like there's legitimate optimism of the Eagles, you know, maybe making a run if they, and then of course, Jadavion Clowney, uh, cheap shots, Carson Wentz, and their season's over. But if they had gotten past Seattle, and you're looking at like they're obviously going to be pretty, probably pretty heavy underdogs in that game. With even with Deshaun coming back, like, what do you think that spread would have been like eight, eight and a half, something like that? Yeah, and they would have had to travel on a short week too. Yeah, but they had a fighting chance with uh, sure. with Deshaun. So you know, Deshaun staying healthy and, and and just more generally speaking, if the Eagles can just actually get some, if they just if they're just in the average, if they have to just have a normal number of injuries they're just at the league average it's going to be a substantial difference between this year and the last three years yeah i was talking to dr edwin horace we had on bgn radio uh, for a special last week and i kind of asked him about how the medical staff hires from the vikings and the rams could kind of help out you know those have been two organizations that have been some of the healthier ones in the league. I think the Vikings were actually like the healthiest team last year. So, so, you know, to the Eagles credit, they've gone out in a way to try to address the injury thing. Maybe that'll help. Uh, Dr. Porras thought, you know, that it could be, there could be something to that. It's not just like total luck and fluke. So uh, we'll see if that works out for the Eagles. If we're talking about more general things, I'll add mine in here as well, Jimmy. And I will say that the coaching staff tweaks specifically, you know, on the offense, proved to be like actually valuable instead of too many cooks in the kitchen. I still think that's like a legitimate question to ask with the mm-hmm. way the Eagles have brought in, you know, like the way they structured everything. It's, it's just weird. Like they, there's no regular offensive coordinator and that could work out, but there's also like, say like you elevated press Taylor, but also Rich Gangarello is here. And then you brought in like a totally new role in Andrew Briner as a passing game analyst. And then you have Marty, back which is still like that, i feel like that might be one of the more under like thought about or under discussed things like the eagles is like oh by the way we're bringing marty back like that's <laughs> right. kind of funny like that's like a big deal like he's yeah, the offensive coordinator here like this is a you know a veteran voice and it's also like a, a very much a you would think like a big doug guy you know like a big doug uh like a, an advocate for him so yeah a guy for doug to lean on a little bit Yes. So I just, I think that'll be interesting. Will that prove to be like, will we see, you know, these offensive tweaks or, or whatever, or will it kind of just kind of sweep, be swept under the rug too? Like, will it just kind of be like, all right, the offense looks better. And will all the credit actually go to all that? Or, you know, or, or is the offense going to continue to look clunky? And all of a sudden we're like, you know, there's, there's leaks by week 12 that, you know, like, Press Taylor wants to do more of this, but then Skangarello is being conservative or whatever because Skangarello, that's part of why he did not return to the Broncos or the Broncos did not keep him, I should say, is because there was criticism that he felt or, or that people felt he was too conservative with his play calling and everything. So uh, one of the storylines to watch, and I feel like, you know, something 
when you look back to the 2017 Eagles, I mean, the coaching was awesome. It was it was great. It was it was like immaculate. Yeah, some some of the game plans, like the the one against Denver, was awesome. Where they just yeah. kind of used Von Miller against himself. <laughs> like they yes. just let, they 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 just kept like drawing him in. They they'd screen over his head or like. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a bunch of examples where they really just use his over aggressiveness against himself. They turned him from an elite player into sort of a liability in that game. And then like in the Vikings game, who was it? Was it Xavier Rhodes who was like, "Yep, you know, they're just there's... scheming the crap out of us." Yep. <laughs> so there's a lot of examples of of them of their coaching staff just dominating the other staff. In, in a, the that, playoffs, that, that's a that's a great point. In the playoffs, particularly, like I that's I think that's why I had so much confidence they were going to win the Super Bowl. Like I remember feeling like like I pretty much had no doubt they were going to win the Super Bowl. Like, I felt like it was almost like a lock in my mind, just because. And I think that's probably a big reason why, because I just I felt so confident in the coaching staff. Because you saw it, you saw it, in, like even in the Falcons game, um, and then through through to the Vikings game, like you just and, and then as the Patriots game was unfolding, like you just saw like oh they know what they're doing. Like that was on plan. fire for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely going to be key. All right, my turn. Yep. This is my last one, and it's just simple. It's, you know, if if Andre Dillard becomes a good starting left tackle. Nice. Assuming they don't bring Peters back. Yeah. I don't really have much more to add on that one. I phrased it as, like, the left tackle situation works out. Okay, you got all your list, too. (laughs) That's either Dillard developing or Jason Peters coming back and, like, staying healthy slash effective. Yeah. It's a big one. It's one of those positions where – it's one of those things where, like – I guess most of the things on our list are like, you know, improvements from past seasons. Well, this is one where you just hope that they can maintain the way that they've been. Like we're kind of expecting a a downturn there, whether it's Peters coming back and he's further regressed or whether it's Dillard starting and uh, you're experiencing sort of those, uh, uh, you know, growing pains, I guess, with him. You know, we're anticipating that the tackle position isn't going to be as good as it was in previous years. But if he can become a good starter, obviously that's huge. But uh, I have my doubts. Getting into more on Dillard, like there's there was some there's been some serious smoke there this off season, and we've talked about it on the podcast before. But I mean, I think specifically back to the draft, and that's one of the reasons too that I wasn't feeling so awesome about the draft. It didn't even have anything to do with like the draft itself, the picks they made. It was like the Dillard situation that was hanging over things. I mean, there was a rumor out there, you know, that the Eagles were like trying to package uh, Andre Dillard. And like, and I guess their first round pick to like move up. Yes. In the so like, and we and we we saw uh, Tim McManus, who does not just put out anything out there. At one point earlier this off season, kind of like suggesting that Dillard's name has come up in trade discussions. You have Derek Gunn at one point saying like that the Eagles were dangling Andre Dillard. Like that stuff isn't just coming out of nowhere. Like that's not just this made up stuff. So like. The fact that that's out there, you know, that's concerning. And the fact I wonder that who the, Eagles... the target was for that, by the way, if if, if indeed that was correct, because it couldn't. Like, I think the thinking at the time was probably C.D. Lamb, mm-hmm. but you figure C.D. Lamb falls to sixteen or seventeen or whatever, and they're willing to, you know, trade Dillard and a one to go up and get him. Then surely they would have put together a package that would have appealed enough to Atlanta to <laughs> to part with that sixteenth overall pick, right? So I figure mm-hmm. like. It was maybe somebody else, if indeed that's correct. Maybe it was Ruggs because uh, he went to the Raiders one pick later, right, at 12. If you get yeah. to the Jets pick at 11 or could have been Lamb. Either way, like I just, you know, there's been too much smoke to me to believe that the Dillard stuff, you know, is nothing. And uh, just, you know, not the not the most encouraging thing. So 
So uh, definitely would be great to see Andre Dillard actually work out, not just for 2020. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, if you bring back JP this year, okay, you know, maybe your your problem is solved for one more year. But, like, what, what does that say about Dillard in the long term? Is he definitely going to be ready in 2021? And then if he's not, like, that's a huge problem on your hands all of a sudden. You have to find a franchise left tackle after already exhausting resources on one. So, so that's a big issue as well. And then to a larger point, I would just say, like, the offensive line, you know, staying healthy and not dropping off, you know, guys like Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Brooks now, who's coming off, you know, another injured offseason. Like just making sure those guys don't drop off because – for as much as scheming, you know, was a big part of the offensive success and everything in 2017. So with the offensive line just being awesome. If Peters comes back, there's no question they'll be the it's the oldest offensive line in the NFL. And I would imagine it's probably uh, the oldest by by a significant margin. Even if Peters doesn't come back and it's Dillard, they're probably still somewhere in the ballpark of like top five oldest offensive lines in the NFL. I'd have to maybe take a closer look at that. Maybe I will if they bring Peters back. But um yeah, you're right. I mean, the the health of those guys is crucial to the success of the team. And, uh, you know, we've seen Brandon Brooks go down uh, each of the last two seasons with very serious injuries. They happen to happen at the end of the year. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is certainly a concern with with those guys getting older. So why don't we take one more break, Jimmy, and then we'll have a final segment. Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio, one twenty two, Jimmy. My last point here, you're done, right? You don't have any more. I have no, yeah, I'm, I'm done. My last one would be, and I think it's a big one, and you actually wrote about this on Philly Voice, and Benjamin Solak wrote about this today as well on BleedingGreenNation.com. Eagles safety situation, and I specifically wrote up first Jalen Mills transitioning to Malcolm Jenkins' old role, which is, is that maybe the biggest assumption the Eagles are making this year? Like, that's that seems like a fairly large assumption they're making yeah i actually covered that today so i like took my look at mills mills said oh charlie scared the shit out of me oh my god (laughs) good lord so actually anyway i looked at mills mills said uh after they re-signed him uh to that one-year deal that uh he sort of played that role to some degree uh against the patriots uh week 11 in uh 2019 and, you know, he played he played some linebacker, he played some slot corner, he played some dime linebacker. So I looked at that game. He, <laughs> so maybe he overstated that maybe a little bit. Like, he mostly played a corner, an outside corner in that game. But he did play those three spots, you know, throughout, throughout the game. But maybe, like, 20, 25 snaps in those other spots. And actually, I thought he looked pretty comfortable there. Like, there weren't, there wasn't a lot to look at, but he... He covered Ben Watson down the field. He covered, you know, running back out of the background. He kind of sniffed out a screen. So, like, I think he does sort of have uh, the football IQ to play that spot. And then when you look at, like, his athletic measurables, like, we all know that he, he doesn't have good long speed. He ran, like, a four six one I think, at the combine. And you don't even need to know that to if, you, if you've watched him over the last, you know, five years, four years, five years, whatever whatever it is, that he's, you know, susceptible to getting beaten, you know, deep down the field for big plays. But if he doesn't have to, like, you know, cover guys like Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones, whoever you want to like, – covering tight ends – and running backs and and slot receivers is going to seem like nothing to him because he's always been like a confident, uh, maybe overconfident, uh, competitive player who has never shied away from you know those those big time challenges playing guys like OBJ and whoever else. And when he's going to cover in tight ends and and slot receivers instead, that's going to seem like cake to him. So I do think he kind of. I think his skill set does sort of fit that role. I think it's going to be a challenge for him to be as good of a tackler 
as Malcolm Jenkins was in that role. Like Malcolm Jenkins is a badass. Like I mean, he I, I, like there was one play I remember during the Seahawks game, or sort of Marshawn Lynch was like kind of like giving him the business a little bit after, like after he got pushed out of bounds. Jenkins wasn't having any of that nonsense. Like I just love Malcolm Jenkins and like sort of the uh, the toughness that he brought to it. And I think Mills is aggressive, but I don't know if he's like as strong as Jenkins. I do wonder about his his ability to to, to play at like sort of that run support role. But in terms of coverage, I don't think he's going to be that bad there. Yeah, I just think it's such a large assumption, though. I mean, like, I think it's – you're under It's easier not, said than done is, is, yes. is, is probably the way I'd put it, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you specifically, but just the general – the royal you, if you will, is, like, undervaluing Malcolm Jenkins. Yes. <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking – like, if anyone can replace him. Like, I just think he was so incredibly important to this defense. And that's that's not even to speak – Just the intangible field yeah. value. Yeah, which is, which is also huge. I think the Eagles – I think there's, like – just the way people are kind of feeling optimistic about the season and everything, I almost feel like there's – I feel like people might be kind of understating how easy it will be to, like, replace Malcolm Jenkins. I, I just don't think it's as simple as you put Mills in there and it's, hey, it's one for one. It's Or it's like – it's not that big of a drop-off. I think it's – even if Mills is good or is reasonably as good as he can be, I still think it's a, a significant loss to not have him. And I know you, you believe Jenkins – being gone is, is big as well. But yes. that's not even the only thing I have here. I also – like I originally just had that, but I also wanted to add you know Rodney McLeod too. Like that's important. Like him, <laughs> right. Because he – I just – we've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum. I, I just don't think he was the same player that he's been in the past on the back end last year. And I, and I think he had – you know, I don't think he's like useless. I don't think he's cooked entirely. But there was just too many times, you know, where – he was culpable in giving up these big plays, and he needs to be better with that because like, they're they're really counting on him. And and speaking of replacing Jenkins, it's not like uh, McLeod is necessarily going to be playing his direct role on the field, but he got, he is going to have to step up in the locker room. So so some of the onus is going to be on him as well, in addition to Jalen Mills. And I just think that's that's a big question mark, and it would go a long way if Rodney could could be solid on the back end. I mean, really, he's he's almost locked the way his contract is structured. You can kind of trade him after this season, but he's almost locked in for these next two years. So like they're they're really counting on him like to really step up and be the guy back there as you know the free safety on the the back end of the defense. And like you know he better be good. Like he better he better like look good again. Yeah, they want him to take over Jenkins on field leadership uh, role. As far as him as as actually a play, I thought he had a bad year last year, but you know maybe the. Maybe, like, I guess the way to defend it is that he's coming off the ACL tear. Two years removed from it, maybe he's better and, and faster and um, can kind of make some plays uh, this year that he wasn't able to make last year. Those are all the reasons to me. A couple other things I wanted to get to here. I did a post on Bleeding Green Nation that I do every year where I go through the, the entire roster of our entire NFL roster. Every oh, yeah, I did NFL see that. I didn't, I didn't open it. I did see you did that, and I've been meaning to get to that. But what was it, like so, 60-something 60, 60 guys? 65 guys okay. who, are, who are still in the NFL. Uh, and, and it's always fun to me because there's some guys You could fill the roster who, of them. <laughs> you could. More than a roster. You could. And it's also like, how are some of these guys still around? So <laughs> my first question for you, Jimmy, and maybe this will be fun for the listeners. I don't know. Which team has the most former Eagles on it in the mm. NFL? All right, so I'll think in terms of uh, former coaches leaving for another team. I don't know if that'll help. No? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, I'll think in terms of bad teams, maybe. Yep. Oh, bad team? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins. 
You're right. I yes. <laughs> Boom. I mean, I know they signed a bunch of them this offseason. Like yeah, Camus and Jordan Howard. And... Can you name all six? Well, there's six. I guarantee you can't, but go for it. All right. Camus, Jordan Howard. No. Oh, Matt Collins. Yep. That's three um, out of the six. Tight end. Uh, the next three players all play the same position, and it's on defense. Hmm. There's, there's one name you should definitely get here. What, what, what position is it? Cornerback. People are loving this game. I can't, even, I can't even think of their cornerbacks. <laughs> like, I know they have Xavier Howard, and they have Byron Jones. Second round pick. <laughs> oh, Eric Rowe. Duh. He's more of a safety yep. for them now. But, uh, yeah, but officially I should have I I gotten Eric Rowe. Yeah. He yeah, is, I, but I officially on their roster, they do list him as corner. Um, Jamal Wiltz, is he on them? Is he on that so team? This is, a, this is a great thing I found out about this. So, technically, you're right. But Jamal Wiltz is no longer Jamal Wiltz. He changed his name oh, legally okay. this offseason to <laughs> Jamal, not Jamal anymore, like J-O-M-A-L, okay. to Jamal, J-A-M-A-L, Perry. So oh. he changed his name. Okay. I think that proves that I didn't cheat, too, because he, pro- yes. he probably shows up in our lads as, as the new name, right? Uh, I, probably, yeah. That's, and then one more. I'll give myself credit for Jamal Wiltz. That's a good poll. That is, uh, that is great. He was on the Eagles last year. He was on the active roster in season? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, the Eagles played him too. Yeah, mm, I don't know. Are you uh, a big Macklemore fan, Jimmy? <laughs> Not <laughs> Ryan Lewis. Ah, uh, Ryan Lewis. Yeah. Okay. So, so I would have never gotten that. It's not uh, bad. Five out of six. Yeah, it's pretty. And good. And I got the team right. It's it's pretty good. I'll take That's it. It's pretty good. Uh, doing this year over year, by the way, and oh, so the AFC East has eighteen. No other division has more than nine. I just thought that's interesting. And, and doing this like each year, the AFC East always has the most of like every year. I don't know why, but they love their former Eagles. And mm. on the other end, the AFC North like never has any barely. Really, like, they, they only have four. And in most years, they just don't have. A lot you know of what? That Eagles. makes sense because uh, well, two of them, two of them play three, four defenses. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't be targeting the same types of down linemen anyway. Although I guess the Eagles did sign Javon Hargrave. Although that's going the other way. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that was interesting. Uh, another former Eagles thing I want to get to, because this is your wheelhouse, Jimmy. Timmy Jernigan. Oh, yeah, okay. Ultimately did not. I, this is like the, I have an update the, on that, by the way. But continue. This is, like, this is what we're doing for Eagles news at this point. It's <laughs> talking <laughs> right. about how... Timmy Jernigan actually didn't sign with the Houston Texans as was first reported. It was actually first reported on April 1st. So maybe this was some kind of elaborate April Fool's Day joke, even though it really wasn't. I'm just kidding. But yeah, so Timmy Jernigan originally signed with the Texans for one year, $3.5 That was reported by NFL Network. Um, so the league's own outlet reported it, but then, and then Bill O'Brien actually even confirmed it. Like there was a press conference where Bill O'Brien talked about how uh, he actually said he forgot to mention Timmy Jernigan in that press conference, which is interesting. Uh, he was like, oh, I forgot to mention Timmy Jernigan, who was a big addition for us. So, But ultimately, uh, the deal fell through. Timmy Jernigan t- uh, put on Instagram that he's not signing with the Texans. So he's a free agent still. I would say the Eagles will not be resigning him, Correct. considering all the defensive tackle <laughs> depth they have yes. already. Uh, but how does this impact the Eagles draft pick situation, Jimmy, for all the people who are still listening for some reason at this point? Okay, so when I wrote this up, I'll explain it that way, and then I'll explain the update that I received thereafter. So the way that the way that like uh, the comp picks work is uh, they're assigned a value, like a, a, a round value based on like a draft pick round value that is based on the amount of money that they make in free agency. So Jernigan was projected to 
account for a six-round pick in the in the comp pick formula by a Nick Cordy of uh, OverTheCap.com. <laughs> but teams only they only give out thirty-two a max of thirty-two comp picks league-wide. So um, guys who may count toward the comp pick formula if they're on the outside of those thirty-two picks, then they you know teams that lost those guys won't get compensated in draft pick form for those guys. So. Ronald Darby was actually the 33rd guy on that list. So now that Timmy Jernigan comes off of it, uh, based on you know over the caps projections, Ronald Darby will now move move up into that 32nd spot. And the Eagles will actually have like so if their projections are correct, the Eagles will actually have the uh, Mister Irrelevant pick in uh, 2021, which will be kind of fun. So that right now they're projected to get a sixth round pick for the loss of uh, Brandon. Help me out here. Jordan Howard. Uh, and then yes. uh, they're projected to get a seventh round pick for Darby now. I found out later that um, – so on over the Caps list of players that they have projected, Jernigan was the only one that they didn't have like actual good contract info on. They're really only going off of Twitter reports, which are – you know the, the one for Jernigan was agent-driven. So his, his actual contract number wouldn't have – was less likely to count – uh, for a comp pick than it was for Darby or even Camus is what I'm is what my understanding is. So him not counting through the comp pick formula anymore doesn't matter anyway because they probably weren't going to get a comp pick form in the first place. So it's really unchanged. Bottom line is Eagles are projected to get a six and a seven in the uh, 2021 draft comp pick wise. Okay, so only two picks. <laughs> it was looking at one time like they might get four. They might get like what three six and one seventh or whatever it was. And you're welcome to anyone that uh, fell asleep uh, listening, uh, anyone trying to fall asleep at night listening to our pod. Do you, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no. Nah, I mean, I think we kind of covered at the beginning with uh, everything that's going on nationwide here. But um, yeah, again, I'll just note again. And to be clear, like when I say I'm proud of uh, our country, I'm not proud of a lot of the things that um, a lot of, the you know, the violence that's occurring <laughs> and uh, the way that... Uh, you know, some some people are handling themselves, notably um, mm-hmm. some some police organizations. But I I think that uh, uh, what I mean by that is I'm proud of the way that you know America, that its people have sort of stood up for themselves here. Yeah, the response, the yes. the, the protests, the um, people who, like I said, I think at the top who are kind of like fighting against ignorance and racism and police brutality and all those things. I, yeah, I agree on that front. Um, one last thing I have as a newsy thing is this is coming from Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. Hearing from new Colts wide receiver Mike Rowe, or wide receiver coach Mike Rowe this morning for the first time, he starts like this. Never been more proud to work for an organization than this one with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay, and it's been very evident in the last three days. That's kind of a funny – I think that's yeah. kind of a funny statement. What does that never mean? been more proud to work – like you won a Super Bowl with the Eagles and you've never been more proud <laughs> – Okay. Well, why um, would it be more? Why would it be uh, more evident now than over the last three days? Uh, that seems like a maybe I'm reading into it too much, but that feels like to me. Uh, I guess with their response to everything, but I don't know. <laughs> to me, that seems like a shot at the Eagles a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Last thing for me would be just another reminder. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of BGN Radio, presented by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. Make sure you don't forget to use discount code. BGN15, that's BGN15, at checkout to get 15% off when you order $45 or more. So definitely go check that out. Uh, definitely rate and review BGN Radio on iTunes. You can follow BGN Radio on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. Follow Jimmy Kemsky on Twitter at Jimmy Kemsky. Read his work at Philly Voice. 
read my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. Follow Bleeding Green Nation on Twitter at Bleeding Green. Check me out on Cameo, cameo.com backslash, not backslash. I always do that. It's not backslash. It's just a regular class. Cameo.com slash Brandon Lee Gowton. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody. P-G-N. <laughs>